Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You gotta check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This UV lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly, but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. There's one bit of shred of integrity left in mixed martial arts, and you're staring at them. And when and if that date comes, I promise you, I will tell you. Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome. You know, I got a lot to talk about today. First off, George Mosball apparently has unretired. I also got some UFC 300 news to report, and I want to talk about some developments in the making of Conor McGregor versus Michael Chandler. I wish that fight would just happen and be over. That's a whole nother story, guys. We got all sorts of stuff to get to today. Let's begin here. So Conor McGregor called his comeback the greatest comeback in combat sports history. That's interesting, right? It's not like we need to hold him to something. But what if we were trying? What if I was really trying to take him at his word and then deduce how serious those words are? So the reason you would come to Chael is because Google bores you. That's the reason you would come to me. If you wanted a history lesson, you could go and do research and bring Google into it, or you could just have access to me. I am a historian, and I have an incredible mind. If you come to me and you ask me, will this be the greatest comeback in sports history, what do you mean by the word greatest? It certainly will not be the biggest. It won't be the biggest, and it won't be the most impressive. Now, the reason for that is it lacks the ingredients. When the greats have come back, they came back into something great. So when Lance Armstrong came back, he came back onto a team in 
the Tour de France. When Cale Sanderson came back, he came back at the World Trials, which led to the World Championships, right? Like, there was no fat on the bone. This is how I'm proving I'm back. If you come back in a bike ride, well, that's not where you left. So you're not back. I mean, do you understand the difference? If you come back in the national championship in a bike ride, that isn't where Lance left. So Lance has not returned if he returns in a bike ride. If Cale Sanderson enters the takedown tournament, that's not where he left. So coming back to the takedown tournament is not a return. And I bring that to you because in combat sports histories, when guys return and they do record things, they fight for championships. They fight the top guys. They fight a nemesis where they left off, hence returning. There is nothing about Connor's return and taking on Michael Chandler that has to do with Connor's exit well over two years ago. They just weren't John at each other. They just weren't in each other's crosshairs. I'm not 100% sure that Michael Chandler was with the organization. I believe that he was and he had had one fight, but I'm not 100% sure. So what do we do with it? And the only thing that we know that isn't done is an agreement for those two to fight. <laughs> we don't know anything, guys. Connor's statement yesterday was dishonest. I'm not calling Connor a liar. He set out to spoof us. He had filmed it well in advance. He dropped it on New Year's. Like, this wasn't meant to be news. So why are we taking it as such? We know they are not going to compete at 185 pounds. For sure, we know that is not going to happen. So why do we believe that Connor Chandler competing under unified rules as set forth by the Associated Boxing Commission president, Mr. Mike Mazzulli, why do we believe all of those things are so? There is no main event for UFC 300 that is in April. So why would we believe that there is a main event on a card that's two cards after the card that's the latest card that we've had announced that we don't have a main event for? There's nothing about the story that is reasonable. There's nothing about the story that can be proven. There's nothing about the story that is written down. I'm talking about in the form of a contract or a bounty agreement. Connor has not signed to fight Michael Chandler on June 29th at 185 pounds. That's not true. Connor has not been offered paperwork to fight Michael Chandler at any weight class in any fashion in any venue on June 29th. Michael Chandler has not been presented with paperwork or an offer. There is no agreement in place, even verbal, for him to stand opposite Conor McGregor inside the octagon at a main event in T-Mobile at 185 pounds. It's not true. So what happens when it is, right? What happens when it is true? You're going to have, from a marketing standpoint, something called an on-sale. Now, if you're the UFC marketing team, you can either come out and fight Connor when he said that th this is what's going to happen. You can come out and fight him, or you can just go, oh, God, 
Dana, can we just get that fight done? Can, can we just make it happen? It, it's going to cost us $10 million and way too many hours to run back the false information that Connor put out. And, and once we do that, it doesn't just solve it for one event. Every single event going forward, we're going to have to have a level of confirmation if our athletes continue to lie. So can you either make that fight and get tickets on sale, or, or do you want me to come over the top and let them know, hey, it's not true? Because what happens when it does become true? They are going to fight. They're trying to get them to fight. The UFC is trying to get Chandler versus McGregor. So like they could just make that statement true as a way to not create anger and confusion amongst the fans. But you don't just have no options. You have very limited options. I mean, do you understand from this standpoint? Those two are going to fight. If Connor ever fights again, he will be fighting Chandler for sure. But we have no assurances that Connor's going to fight again, right? Like this was today's news while drunk. One week ago, in a different country on somebody else's cameras, it was Manny Pacquiao. So next week, whatever the idea that comes to mind, right? It's one of these situations, but now you have the UFC who's been promised by their biggest star. If you come to T-Mobile on International Fight Week, specifically June 29th, you will be able to see me. You have confusion, and you can only stick a middle finger to your audience so many times. Connor does it nonstop. But that's that's the shtick. I've done it to you guys until I'm blue in the face, but that was been our agreement from the beginning. The UFC marketing team has never done it, and they never would because they're professionals and they operate in a different dimension. But they are now finding themselves stuck. We have a match that we're told they want to make. We just know they haven't yet made it. And we have a confusion with our audience. And we allowed our biggest star to create that confusion. And we didn't try to correct it. Now, easiest for all of us is if the organization can just make it happen on that date. Less easy is coming out and explaining Connor's a liar. But those are your options. So before you do any of them, and before you know a friend or you email a cousin who used to be an intern and he still got relationships at the UFC, before you do any of those things, before you go and shout and throw eggs at Crowley's empty office, before you do anything like that, take a deep breath, tune back into me, when and if that fight happens, I will let you know when and where tickets go on sale, which currently has not happened. Connor is no more fighting Chandler in June than he's fighting Pacquiao in May. There's one voice, there's one bit of shred of integrity left in mixed martial arts and you're staring at him. And when and if that date comes, I promise you, I, We'll tell you. Should Michael Chandler be applauded? But that, in question form, in question form, should he be applauded? Guys, you want to know something? I don't think we have enough information yet. On one hand, Michael Strickland has been the most patient person in MMA. And like the old adage goes, good things come to those who wait. 
Michael Chandler is a husband and a father. So it's a very big deal that he is out bringing something back on a human level. He said, let's just wait. Let's just wait. I'm the hunter, but I can gather. I can get it all done. I can get, I can get it all in this bag, but I got to be patient. It's a very interesting spot. So in that regard, yes, he should be commended. And yes, he should be praised. He believed in himself. He bet on himself. He gambled and he stayed patient. The reason it's still a question mark is they haven't made that walk yet. I mean, they not only haven't made that walk, there's several steps in front of it. Now, do I believe that McGregor and Chandler will fight and that that fight represents McGregor's next fight? Yes. But... You better not be any more bullish than that, guys. There's not an on sale. There's not a ticket that you can buy. There allegedly is a venue booked that can't be proven. There is not a bout agreement signed. There is not a weight class chosen. And the biggest piece of evidence that you have that Chandler versus McGregor is going to take place on June 29th, the biggest piece is from Connor himself. You would think that'd be a wonderful witness, right? But but Connor himself, that same person, five days earlier can be seen on video saying that he was going to box Manny Pacquiao as soon as they agreed on a weight class. So it starts to become an issue of the source. And I do think that this is the plan. I, I really do for right now. I don't think that Connor's trolling you. I don't think Connor was trolling when he said he wanted to box Pacquiao. I don't think he was trolling at all when he was trying to get a weight established. I don't think he happened to be leaning over the sport's biggest star when he did it. I think you have a genius at work. But the reason that people go to work is to try to get a job. And the reason they try to get a job is to try to get paid. I mean, right now, even your biggest star, even Red Panty Knight himself, is unemployed. So the video that he put out, the New Year's Day video, I enjoyed, but it was pre-taped. That's a big deal. It's, it's a really big deal, right? Well, it doesn't matter whether it's an apology or an ask or a press release. It, 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 if you taped it multiple times, if you drop something to look live that had been in the can, there, there's a relevance to it. I mean, there is something extremely authentic about Conor McGregor leaning over Christian Rinaldo to sell and, and shout to a media member who I gave the pass to about Manny Pacquiao. He was being serious and he was trying to build something and he had a real interest there. The, the one reason, and it used to be a matter of when Conor called for something, then it happened. Conor called for a fight on January 20th. They didn't have a venue book. Boom. He was in that ring. Fighting Cowboy Cerrone. Connor called to, to, to tra transcend sports and fight Floyd Mayweather, right? I mean, there was a time when he called for it, he went and did it. And the Connor theme is still very real. And Pet Red Panty Night still does rule the day. But the point snap is gone. And to let you know why the point snap is gone is because there's too much point and there's too much snapping. One week. Prior to the day he called out, 
say that he was going to be fighting Chandler. One week prior to that, he said he was going to be fighting Pacquiao. The one coincidence, the thing holding up the boxing match with Pacquiao was weight. Fast forward a week when he talks about he's going to be fighting Chandler, the one piece of that that was not true was the weight. That was the constant. And there's something in poker that's called a tell. If you guys have ever watched the great movie Rounders, but there's something in poker that's called a tell where somebody will do something, they'll have a scratch, <clears throat> they'll have a look, they'll have something when they're lying. Conor McGregor's current tell is weight. When he's lying, it always has something to do with the weight. Him and Manny are boxed, but they can't work out the weight. Him and Chandler are boxed, but they can't work out the weight. It's a small tell. It's a small deal. But before we praise Chandler, and I would like to praise Chandler, Michael Chandler just might be the funnest person, the most fun. He might be the most fun athlete to watch in all of MMA. I mean, imagine I was going to give you, I had to deliver, I had to give you an awesome fight. So I put Dan Hooker versus Michael Chandler, right? Like you guys would go crazy. What I'm suggesting for you is before we can give a round of applause, before we fully understand what is happening here, we've got to have a better source. And going right to a principal, going right to the red corner of the main event, nowadays is just not that good of a source. Chad, you want him to keep fighting? Have you had enough of him? Has he proved his point yet? Are there things you like to see him do? Do you want him to go out like Khabib? Do you predict that he'll go out like Khabib? Who has been more dominant, Islam or Khabib? Dominant at that weight class. Dominant at cleaning out and getting rid of a division. Who's been more dominant? And it's it's not as simple as you think. It's not as simple as, well, let's go see how many guys that Islam beat. And let's see how many guys Khabib beat. And that kind of looks the same. Let's go see how many top 10 guys Islam beat and top 10 Khabib beat. That looks kind of the same. Well, how many championship matches did Islam have? It's not like that. It never needs to be like that. that. Those things are silly. There is very good evidence that Islam has cleaned out 155 pounds more than Khabib. And while I don't even want to win an argument of that he did it more, I just want you to understand that they're pretty equal. That's all I want you to understand. And I know that you're pushing back, but that's exactly what a rematch represents. A rematch is absolute proof that you've cleaned out a division. Khabib never had a rematch that I know of. And Khabib beat anybody that was even questionable as number one contender. Charles Oliveira was not a questionable number one contender when Khabib was fighting. And I know as we look back and we saw the rise of Charles, I, I get where that would have been a special match, but Charles was never in active Khabib days higher than four. And there was there was not a, a group or a push, including you guys on the underground forum or in my comment section, that argued Charles higher than four. But Khabib never did a rematch, at least not one I can think of. I know he never rematched Gaethje. I know we never had more than one experience in there with Poirier. And I know they wanted him desperately to rematch McGregor, but he said, I've already done that. So 
Khabib never had a rematch. But he did go through anybody who was ever even questionably a number one contender. And look, please don't bring up Tony Ferguson. He signed the contract five times. He tried to do it five times. So Khabib steps away, happened to be 29-0. and 0. But number 30, whoever number 30 would have been, it, it wasn't even a discussion of Charles, right? It's, it's a familiar face that you guys would know. It wasn't going to be Gamrot. It wasn't going to be Arm. It's a name that you know. It couldn't have been Islam. It would have been a name that you know it for sure if Khabib had done number 30. What Dana wanted him to do was Conor McGregor, but Poirier and Gaethje still would have been ranked in front of everybody. So for sure, it would have been a rematch representing the first rematch. But he didn't do it. He retired. And as you look at Islam, who's saying, I'd like to go to 170 pounds. And a little-known fact on Khabib is they were never going to get him to fight again. When he said 29-0, and 0, he meant it. And when he said that night, when he happened to be 29-0, 29-0 actually had nothing to do with his decision, but it was a byproduct of the decision that he made. They were never going to get him. They didn't want to take the belt back. They didn't even let it change the rankings. They didn't even remove him from the USADA pool because they thought, now we can get it. Give us a couple of more conversations. But what they didn't understand is they were making two big mistakes. One, they were offering him a rematch. Champions hate rematches. Two, it was at 155 pounds. Those were the two huge mistakes when the UFC was attempting to negotiate with Khabib. But the UFC, if they could go back, wanted to have done it differently. See, they, they didn't just want Khabib. They wanted 155-pound champion to remain champion and to do one more fight. And the reason I tell it that way, if they really wanted him, all they needed to do was to change those two things. They wanted to get Khabib's consideration. Now, who knows where he would have decided, but they didn't even get him to consider their proposition. If they wanted to get him to consider it, they needed to make it 170 pounds or catch weight. And they needed to make it with an opponent that he had yet to face. And I bring that to you because Islam's already done a rematch. And now he's openly saying, I don't want to do rematches. And they're going to find a way. They're, they're going to roll Charles out. They're going to, you know, they'll, they'll wrap him in bubble tape so that he can't put a, a paper cut above his eye. Like whatever it takes for some really weird reason, they're going to do that match. And they're going to find out a lot sooner than they would have to find out that Islam's done. And I don't know if that's two more fights. I know if he keeps the schedule he contractually has the right to have, which is three fights, if he keeps his three fights without 2024, you are not going to see him in 2025. That I do know. And one of the reasons that you're getting the resistance and the reluctance is you're giving matches he doesn't want to have. He doesn't want to have matches at 155 pounds. He will do it. He will do it. But he doesn't want to. If you want to keep him and elongate his career, you're going to have to start looking at either a catch weight or 170. Now, that isn't today's problem. But a year sure goes by fast. Islam Makhlchev will not weigh... 155 pounds more than three times again in his life. You do what you want with that, but I am guaranteeing you that statement to be true. 
And he doesn't want to do rematches. And the world doesn't want to see him doing rematches. If they did, they would have been the original matches that were booked. So it's just one of these these interesting spots that if you, you lost Khabib, are you fine with losing him? Or do you wish you would have had him? Because history is going to repeat itself. Right now you have Islam, but you're going to lose Islam. If you don't want to lose him, make sure you understand the two things that you're doing that are going to shorten his career as opposed to extend it. And maybe you can't do it immediately. Maybe you can't do it in the short, short term. But as quickly as you can get him away from 155 pounds, of which he will never weigh three times, more than three times on his time left living. Big statement. And get him out of rematches. Get him fresh blood. If you're doing rematches, then you're signifying and admitting an absolute dominance. Is that where you're at? Are you admitting? Is he the most dominant? Has he cleaned it out? Has he went through everybody? No, he hasn't. So why are you giving him rematches? Summer is coming up, and that might mean that you're going to have a little more time on your hands. Why not use it to learn a new language? Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program that truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, is here to help you. Some of you may be traveling abroad this summer, and you might want to experience that country beyond just the touristy type spots. Your experience could be upgraded just by learning the native language. Now you can download the Rosetta Stone app to your phone or tablet and learn on the go while driving, riding on the subway, running on a treadmill, or even laying poolside with just a 10-minute lesson per day. Rosetta Stone's lessons are designed for long-term retention of language skills rather than short-term memorization. The focus of the program is preparing you for real, authentic conversations, not just knowing a couple of translations. It's like having your own personal trainer for language learning. Rosetta Stone has been used by millions of people for over three decades. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started for a limited time. My listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com backslash today. That's 50% off. Unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. That's a steal. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots. And Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round tint boots and I wore them with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head-to-toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal, limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. 
I truly do. And Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-B-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Jeffrey Epstein. Guys, does that name ring a bell? Like, when I say something, did I, did I just pull out an emotion from you? Just those two words. Did that get some kind of emotion, get you to listen up? Jeffrey Epstein. I don't know her name, but I believe it's Jiswell Maxwell. And... These two are cohorts in this island. Allegedly, a list, a manifest, allegedly is about to be revealed. Like, Giselle's a real person, that's true, and Jeffrey's a real person, that's true, and they did have an island, that's true. And there was very deviant acts that took place on the island, but that's almost where it ends. Like, where? What'd you eat when you were out there? Um, what's the name of the intersection where you turn to find the house, hotel, spot? Like, it gets really, 
limited on info, but there is a list, okay? There is a list of whoever went there. The list is supposedly about to be revealed. All right, now we're one minute on this journey together, but do I have your interest? Is there something about that you find interesting? Because Ian Gary has the same list. At least Ian Gary has a list. And he began to make his list the other day. So picture this for an establishing shot. Somebody over the top, you see Gary, you see Gary's hand. It looks like a diary of sorts, and he's writing names down. And he's got Sean, which we believe is going to lead into Strickland. He's got Colby, of which there is only one. He's got Jeff Neal, of which is his next opponent. But guys, what if? For fun. That's all we're having here. See, Ian Gary has finally figured out how to have fun with this. But what if, in that spirit of having fun, what if Ian Gary threatened that he was going to drop the list? He was going to drop the list of clients that bought his wife's book, four of which... Husbands are actively on the roster, signed with the Ultimate Fighting Championship. What if it was a story like that? Would you get behind it? Would you be curious? I made up the number four. What if it was number three? What if there was an actual number and it was one and he had it? The name, the credit card information, the mailing address. What if that was real? And by the way, what are the odds that it's not? What are the odds that it's not? What are the odds of this best-selling book that Ian Gary's wife, Mrs. Machado, I believe as it would be, what are the odds that a UFC fighter didn't buy it? What are the odds that a girlfriend or an aspiring girlfriend of a future UFC fighter didn't buy it? Yeah, sure they did. Somebody bought it, for sure. For sure would be my guess. I would think that somebody got a hold of that thing. Whether they're still signed to the Ultimate Fighting Championship or, or trying to get to the Ultimate Fighting Championship or once were in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. But somewhere along that vein, I would say that they have it. And as much as people are having fun and they're so curious of XB, XDeem and Maxwell's list, it just seems like you could play it right in. Vince McMahon was the king of playing things right in. Like, he needed a heel character, he needed a bad guy, so he would go out and take things that people were actually scared of. Like, he created an agent called IRS for Internal Revenue Service. IRS was his character, and the guy carried a briefcase, and if you don't do such and such, I will audit you. I mean, Vince was known for this. At a time of corruption and or the, the, the discussion of corruption with police officers, he brought in somebody called the Big Boss Man. The greatest heel ever created besides Vince himself was just simply a rich guy called Ted DiBiase, but he was the million dollar man. And he would do what people actually feared could be done, which is he would make money to cut himself to the front of the list to get special privileges and special services. He would take real life and put it into those characters. And I'm just asking you what would happen. What would happen in that situation if Ian Gary, who's finally having fun with it. I was so happy to see Ian Gary in his list because now I know he's okay. 
Like I'll cheer, I'll cheer for Ian or I'll cheer against Ian. I'll walk up and say hello to Ian or I'll turn my back and ignore Ian. But make no mistake, that's a real human being. There's another side to it aside from the, yay, we cheer, oh, we boo sports side. There's a human, and now that he's making lists, now that he's starting to have fun with this, now that he's starting to turn this list into a hit list, what if he, what if he also shifted that into a customer's list? Because one thing that I really do believe is that there is somebody under contract whose significant other bought that book. I do believe that. That would just be an odds game. But I believe that the odds say that he did. And moreover, the significant other, somebody who signed to the Ultimate Fighting Championship, who purchased and read the book a while ago, this person doesn't know. They don't know that their girlfriend and or fiance and or current wife has the book. There's something to it. That's all that I suggest for you. There's something to it. If you were to take the spirit of what's actively going on with crossing it for entertainment and marketing purposes, which is all this whole thing is all about. Somebody's got that book and maybe Ian knows who it is. The Curious Case of George Mosvidal. So... Masvidal has unretired. It's a very interesting position. It's it's an interesting position because nobody is ever going to fight in that octagon that's playing checkers. And there's not a lot of people that understand the industry, but George Masvidal would definitely qualify as the other side of the table. He would qualify as soon as he got into promoting himself. As soon as he started signing the front of checks instead of just the back of checks, he goes into a different category of other fighters. So what is he doing? What are, what, what are we not seeing here? Under USADA days, by example, the word retire meant something very different than it ever did at other times. One of the identifiable words, like retirement is just a word. In the most part, it's just a word, right? Well... That's true in the fight game. You retire just so you can unretire, right? You can't have the comeback fight until you have the retirement fight. It's all part of the process. But with USADA, it was very relevant because they identified the word. And they identified what a retired fighter or an unretired fighter would look like as it pertained to their proceedings. USADA's gone. That's the only reason I bring that up. George Masvidal announced his return to fighting two days after the execution of USADA. And under the new testing agent, that word isn't quite as relevant. So why did George say it? And if George was just looking to fight, I mean, if there was ever a retirement that was insincere, it was George Mosvalls. He did not want to go. I mean, George had his fingers were crossed and in his pocket. And, and I kind of felt for him a little bit because there, there's some guys that fight and then there's fighters. And George Masvidal is a fighter, make no mistake. You want to put a couple of million dollars out there, great, he'll show up. But you want to put a cheeseburger out there, he'll show up. That's not tough guy talk by me. I have proof of it. 
I have multi millions of dollars proof that I can supply a video. Uh, it was uh, Masvidal versus Usman part one. It was done on about seven days notice. That would be the biggest fight of his life. And he won the BMF title at the Mecca Madison Square Garden. I don't think anything could trump the night that he went out and did Masvidal on very short notice. Now, I can also show you tangible evidence of him leaving a fast food restaurant to go to somebody's backyard, not knowing if that was going to be videoed or not, having no idea that that would be videoed and placed on something called the internet and lived to this day on something called YouTube. He just went out and did it. I mean, right, there's guys that fight and then there's fighters. But why did he announce his unretirement? Why did he announce that he's coming back? He's got a promotion. He could go fight in it. Dave Feldman has all but publicly offered him Mike Perry. Well, Mike Perry, the, the champion of Feldman's promotion, has offered him the fight. Is that what he's leading into? Why did he announce that he's unretired? And when I come back and I tell you that nobody's going to fight in that octagon that's playing checkers, to explain what I mean, and most guys don't understand this concept, but each night has to have a value and it has to have a meaning. Each and every fight has to have a significance. Reed Harris explained this to me. I was one of Reed's fighters. I was in the WEC. It was 2008. And WEC was not yet, per it might have been 2007. WEC was not yet purchased by Zufa, who was the parent company of the Ultimate Fighting Championship. That deal wasn't done yet. So everybody's in competition with Dana. And Reed Harris is a promoter, he's an owner of a company, and he told me something very flattering about Dana. He didn't put him down at all. He said, you know what that guy does that he does so well? He puts on significant fights. I didn't know what it meant. I was a younger guy myself. I was 20, 26, 27, 28 years. I was, I was somewhere a little bit younger myself. I didn't really know what it meant. I had to think about that. I had to think about that. And Reed said, yeah, nobody else can do what he does because nobody has the ability to bond on significant fights. I thought, what the hell kind of word is that? I mean, I heard of main events. I heard of title fights. I heard of grudge fights. What the hell is Reed Harry telling me about significant fights? But I played with it. I played with it. I played with it, right? I, did. I kept thinking about what he meant until I figured it out. And it's not as though this is a colossal riddle. I just hadn't heard that term before for fights. And what Reed is talking about is that each fight has a meaning. And if the fight ends that night, whether the gloves get set down, or whether the contracts expire. If there's nowhere to go, if two guys go out there and fight, and regardless of outcome doesn't affect a fight in the future, that fight then doesn't have significance. So, very few guys understand this principle. I would just think that Masvidal would. Like, here, let me give you a great one. Guys are going to have a retirement fight. And the biggest mistake you can ever do is to announce that my next one is my last one prior to getting the bout agreement. If you ever say my next one's my last one, if you ever say my next one is my retirement fight, if you ever have any version of that, you can be as sure as night follows day when the offer in your next opponent comes over, it's going to be the hardest offer and hardest night of your life. But a general rule in a sport, and it should be that way, is nobody leaves here with the shine. You pass the torch before you go. And that is a rule, but very few guys want to follow it. And very few guys are good enough to do it, by the way, right? If your name isn't St. Pierre, your name isn't Khabib, you didn't go out on top. 
very few guys are good enough to do it, but the suckers will always say, the next one is my last one. And they will then receive a bout agreement for a very unfavorable match. I don't know that there's an exception to that. I mean, if you want to get really literal, the only exception that I'm aware of is Mark Munoz. Mark Munoz is the only guy who said this next one's my last one, win, lose, or draw, and was able to get his hand raised. If anybody else won on their last night, it was not on purpose. <laughs> they weren't supposed to, right? But I bring that to you because Masvidal would know that. And those guys that come out and say the next one is my last one. The guys that do that, the same ways they get dealt from the bottom of the deck. If a guy was announcing his unretirement but didn't have a match to walk back into, you're now asking a promoter to start over from square one. And the promoter is going to play you nonstop. There's nothing against you playing him. This is what the game is. The audience is going to play you for a sucker every chance they get. They're going to come. They're going to shake your hand. They're going to, oh, can I get a selfie and pull it out? When they get home, they're going to log on to the underground forum and talk about what a POS you are. You tried to grab their wife's butt when you're doing a pick. They will. They'll do it. It's the exact same guy. They're all playing one another. Masvidal knows these things. Masvidal knows that he would have been a lot smarter to come out and say that the judge did a backroom deal and signed him to a gag order, and he can't say any more than that, but he and Colby are, in fact, going to fight a second time. He'd have been way, way smarter to do that. And say, but before I get in there with Colby, per the court order of the judge on the gag order that I'm not even allowed to speak about, I have to go do three rounds with Ian Gary. All of a sudden, he would have been telling a story, and it would have had a significance. But if you don't do those things, then you're asking a promoter to start at square one. Okay, it's this guy versus this guy. Well, what are the rules? Unified. Well, what is the weight class? I don't know. What do you think? 170, 155, what difference does it make? Well, where are we going to be on the card? Well, you're probably not in shape to go five rounds since you've been retired a while. How does fifth from the top set, right? You start doing, you start, you start working in reverse order. And that is just, that's a mistake that guys will make all the time. There's always a sucker that's going to say, my next one is my last one, but not the smart guy. And George would qualify as the smart guy, but George can't fight in the octagon if it doesn't have a significance. As big of a fight as George versus Gaethje for the BMF would be, the BMF is a dead-end road. The BMF has no lineage, and the BMF has never been defeated, and the BMF will take you nowhere. So it would qualify. The only thing that we ever do in this sport that is checkers, the only thing we ever do in this sport that does not have a lineage, does not have a contendership, isn't contended himself, is... The BMF. Now, I'm not predicting it for you at all. But I am very surprised that George would announce his return, of which is never going to happen in the octagon unless he's got a minimum of two. If he has a story to tell and he's got two guys. Guys try this all the time with the UFC. Backdoor stories that you guys have never heard. Your biggest stars, your favorite fighters, the f your favorite fighter's favorite fighter all the time will call the UFC and say, I will do this. Let's start negotiating. And the reason that gets told no every single time, the UFC is not looking for a story. The UFC is looking for stories. It's got to be at least two. And in the theme of having at least two, as it pertains to Masvidal unretired and the UFC, he's yet to tell us one. 
a very interesting spot. I don't know what to make of it. There'll be more to come. There'll be a tell at some point. He'll set something down. You all will miss it. I'll pick it up. It hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. And unless it comes in pairs or better, it's not coming to the octagon. Hawani just made an interesting statement, and he said that the UFC is going to have to pull a rabbit out of their hat as it pertains to UFC 300, and I don't see it that way, but I want to know what you guys think, right? And, and please, please don't go oh, to hell with USADA and George St. Pierre and uh, Ronda Rousey, and they're going to do a tag team again. I mean, please be really realistic. And you can push those boundaries just a little bit for fun if you want, but please be really realistic with me because I don't think that the UFC is up against it. I, I mean, I see it quite the opposite. You, you, they rushed Strickland and Duplessis to the market. That's true. That was the one where they were up against it. That card, except you have that fight. And if you do stare at why did we rush this fight, I think it's very reasonable to conclude that we need an outcome. Okay, great. You need an outcome for what? Well, and then that, I believe, is where you see something with Izzy, but that's not done. I mean, like, for example, Sean Strickland has not been told, beat this guy, draw into Izzy at 300, make millions and millions of dollars. That hasn't been done. They don't have a yes back from Izzy, but they've let Izzy know that's where they want to go, and Izzy's let him know that he's still listening. I mean, that, that's as far as it is, but that, that's what the fight game is. That is how the fight game is done. Now, you will know for sure what direction they're attempting to go, not what direction they're going to go, what direction they're attempting to go if Izzy's plane touches down in Vancouver. If Izzy is not cage-side, for Duplee versus Strickland, Izzy versus the winner of Duplessis Strickland is not going to happen. And adversely, if he is cage side, they want that fight to happen. Okay. So I don't agree with Ariel. Just on that, I think that's a big deal. I think Izzy in a rematch with Strickland, as good as both of them have proven at press conference, has proven his build, as, 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 as hyped as their first fight was, and they didn't have time to hype the fight. Sean Strickland was a 6-1 to one favorite. Nobody does great pay-per-view numbers that's a 6-1 to one favorite and or dog. But that would be completely switched now. In fact, DraftKings has a mythical lined out at 2-1 to one right now, favoring Izzy. Very, very different from a business standpoint. And that's if Strickland wins. I don't need to take a second to sell you guys on Duplessis versus Izzy, of which, in my opinion, should happen either way. You're paying through your nose for 300, right? Like, there's some guys that you can't bring in unless they're at the top of the bill. The way their contracts are structured, Ronda Rousey would, would be an example. Ronda Rousey's own revenue forced her into retirement. There was nowhere else you could put her except main event. She no longer could beat people in a main event spot. Do you understand that concept? It's a pretty simple one, but you might not, and I don't mean to condescend. You're going to pay for 300, so the rules are going to be different. There is no reason that Izzy and Duplessis can't fight at 300. Right now, regardless of outcome against Strickland, they would either be coming off a loss to the same guy, which makes that work, or it would be for the championship of the world, 
which was supposed to happen in August of 2023. And that match would work. Now, if Ariel's argument is that that fight, which they are clearly trying to do, isn't big enough for 300, okay, great. Well, then I, I guess I misunderstood the debate. So let's keep playing. There is real talk between Max Holloway's team and Justin Gagey. I don't believe Max changing weight classes and a BMF title that is the road to nowhere because it has no lineage and has yet to be defended. I don't think that that's main event worthy. I think that's a wow. Whoa. I think that's a cool move. I think that's a great supporting cast with a story to tell in a road that's headed nowhere for a championship that's already been identified as headed nowhere. Like, I think that that, to a level, it works. It's not a main event. I would say the same thing would go if George Masvidal was to come back. If George Mas was to come back against Gaethje, the BMF and the BMF, and they're re going to fight, and they're going to figure out the weight class later, and this is nothing more than a cash grab, and it would prove Ariel's point of desperation. I would not, as a defender of the organization, be able to say anything less than they were desperate if they made that move, and that's the only word I'm attempting to argue against right now. But I do think that it's been oddly quiet around Jamal Hill. I don't remember an injury in this sport which speculation and return has been so quiet. I think that John Jones, who's never been very good at media, you know, he got a hurt chest. You only need so much time. I don't think he's back by 300, and I get that he's not a huge draw, but Jones versus Aspinall in the right position. Yeah, it would work, and it would it would, it would would deflate Errol's argument of desperation. And I think that Aspinall versus Pierre is just two oddly quiet topics right now. Right, I mean, the perennial weight class in all of combat is heavyweight. That's the belt Ali had. That's the belt Hulk Hogan had. And we have our heavyweight active champion without a partner. And the only rumor, he's already agreed to it. The only rumored opponent for Aspinall is Piera, which Aspinall has already publicly agreed to. And the same thing goes for Piera. A perennial weight class within the organization... That's Frank Shamrock's weight class, that's Chuck Liddell's weight class, that's Tito Ortiz's weight class, that's Randy Couture's weight class, a perennial weight class, that's John Jones's weight class, a perennial weight class, is light heavyweight. And we've got a light heavyweight champion who has already agreed to fight Aspinall. As a matter of fact, it was his idea. Why wouldn't you give? If you got two guys in the fight business that want to fight, why would you not give them what they want? Let me just start with that. And if you do give them what they want, and it was their idea, can we agree against Ariel that that is not a sign of desperation? what drives my partner Ryan insane and I'm talking about insane I'm talking like relationship impacting towards me when I talk to you guys and I don't have a point if I ever talk to you guys about something when it gets done he'll go what was that about and I have to be able to tell him in a sentence and if I can't he'll just scratch his head and go then why did you do it and it's like well Ryan sometimes I have a I have a 10 second thought and I feel like it's an impactful thought let me give you guys a great example 
Many, many years ago, before any of you were born, the Supreme Court got together to decide what was offensive, right? Because you have the freedom of speech within America. And then speech isn't just words. It gets moved over to expression. It gets the other forms of art. Mixed martial arts actually got brought into this, believe it or not. But this is how wide the scope is. And the Supreme Court says it'll be offensive. We'll know it when we see it. They couldn't define it. And as problematic as that is, for the greatest branch in government to not be able to explain beyond we'll know it when we see it, it also, you get it, right? Like it makes a level of sense. And one thing about rules is they have to be easily identifiable and they have to be enforceable. So let me give you a great one. What's the line in MMA? Because the last press conference prior to UFC 296, a number of people for the first time ever said that the line was crossed. And it's a very tricky one that brings me back to the Supreme Court's rule of offensive. We'll know it when we see it because what part of it and what part of what we saw crossed the line? I mean, on one hand and on one day, you had the Strickland and Duplessis situation, what was so wildly sensitive that I'm not going to go into any more detail about it than to tell you the Duplessis versus Strickland situation, which ultimately was the genesis for what turned in to an illegal street fight, of which everybody understood because the genesis was so strong. Okay. Somewhere within there, you had the Ian Gary and the WAG situation. And that even seemed to take precedence, though Ian Gary was not president at a press conference and was replaced only, and according to some, about 50% with Colby, Leon, the club, and the father situation, right? It was, it was one of these really peculiar spots what you're not allowed to talk about. You're not allowed to talk about somebody's father. You're not allowed to talk about their wives. You're not allowed to talk about their children. I mean, you could go in any which direction that you want, and I, I can't extend that. I already know I'm going to drive Ryan crazy, but let me take you back to the last presidential debate, may I? And stay with me on this. I mean, right, if we're tying it all the way into the Supreme Court, it does have a relevance. At the last presidential debate, Nikki Haley, who is for sale, told the world when Vivek Ramaswamy came after her, do you guys understand what this is about? Nikki Haley doesn't believe that people should be on TikTok because TikTok is an arm of the Chinese government. And Vivek Ramaswamy is going, you know what? It's a great mechanism to talk to an entire demographic known as younger people and the next generation who you've alienated, Nikki, but not everybody in your family has because your daughter is on TikTok. So now he has brought up Nikki's daughter, right? And as soon as he said, I could even cringe inside. I was like, oh, I know what he was going for, but he missed. And so Nikki fired back to let him know, you do not speak about children. And for the most part, you guys like to agree with that. For the most part of the Vivek, hey, your daughter's on TikTok versus Nikki, don't talk about my child. Most of you side with Nikki, but how? I mean, Nikki's putting down Vivek in the moment that she's defending her daughter. Vivek is somebody's child. So what do you mean don't talk about somebody's child? Vivek's mother is in the audience. So now you're talking about Vivek's. It's a very weird thing. And five minutes before that, Nikki, you spent your entire time talking about Hunter Biden, who is not your opponent. He is the child of a perceived political opponent. 
So how can you say don't talk about children? You're talking about my mom's child right now and you spent the rest of the time talking about the Democrats leading man's child. And do you see where it becomes different? Do you see where it becomes a situation of I'll know it when I see it? Because it's very tough in MMA. I mean, for the first time ever after the UFC 296 press conferences and subsequent fist fight where Gilbert Burns' children were given a heads up, my old partner, Errol Hawani, for the first time ever, talked about having a level of sanctioning, a fine process, a suspension process, a removal process, something worse. And you're kind of looking around and just going, but this is a really tough one. How do we identify that and how is that enforceable? AJ Ferrari over the weekend was in trouble for slapping an opponent. And everybody thinks, oh, this is just so obvious. There is no slapping. Slapping, pushing, and pulling is 100% what wrestling is. So no, it's not that obvious. I don't agree with you at all. And if it's within the time of the match, then what rules is it that you're enforcing? A referee is not a dictator that just has full authority. It must be within the time of a match. And by besides, you're telling me that this is illegal? That's how people shake hands. They slap hands. What if AJ Ferrari thought the guy was on fire and he was going to pat him out? I mean, not for nothing. If you're going to have a rule that you're going to write down, it has to be identifiable before it can be enforceable. So what is out of bounds? What is off limits? How far is too far? How would you ever know if you didn't get there? I mean, I'm not, I'm not quite ready for this to be done. And there's never been a time when we've revisited a press conference that happened three weeks ago. But that press conference of three weeks ago led to an illegal street fight, which is about to be a legal sanctioned cage fight for the championship of the world. Like they all tie in. So then you start to wonder, well, how far is too far? They asked Duplessis about this, and Duplessis actually said, you know what? I didn't know I was going to get that reaction from him. Duplessis said that himself. He goes, I was actually a little surprised how much that triggered him. And it was one of these candid moments, and I appreciate it from Duplessis, and it did piss Strickland off, straight up. No, no two ways around it. And Sean's not even trying to hide it. You want to get me hot under the collar? You just did. It was a very interesting moment, but how would we know that that was too far? Is that too far for everybody, or was that too far just in that one unique situation? And what part about it was too far, and what part about it are you talking about? Somebody's childhood, or somebody's father, or somebody's parent, or something that's off limits. How would that be any different than when Nikki Haley is going after Vivek, and Vivek is somebody's child? See where it starts to get tough? Nikki Haley standing on stage while for sale, telling the world, you don't talk about children. And one minute later, talking about Joe Biden's son and a laptop. And Joe Biden's son is not on the ballot. He is the son. He's the child of somebody on the ballot. I'm just asking you, what is the difference? And when you answer that, how do you know? How would you know if you've gone too far? And what in the hell is wrong with that in the first place? I mean, that, that's always one of the, the really weird things. This is too far. Okay, what does that mean? Now that you've established we've gone too far, what does that mean? And is that a negative? I would like to know what too far is, because then I would go there every single day. And everything I do, I don't believe in moderation. Some of you do. 
I believe if anything's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. I believe in excess. I live a life of excess. I would never do something unless I was going to do a whole effing bunch of it. I don't believe in it. So what is too far? How do we get there? How do you know? And why is it a negative? I think that it's very difficult to identify. And I remember a time in the sport when the whole world was going around and they were all apologizing for the sport. We had politicians calling it human cockfighting. We had politicians saying it was barbaric. And I had a very big voice at that time. They brought me in to deal with these politicians. And everybody said, this is barbaric and it's human cockfighting. Or they said, it's not. There was no in-between until Chael came along. And I said, it is absolutely barbaric. And it is absolutely human cockfighting. If you're taking two half-naked men, you're having them fist fight under extremely limited rules in a steel cage for nothing more than a few dollars in the applause of a drunken audience. If that's not barbaric, I don't know what is. But I don't apologize for it. The end. And as soon as I started speaking that way, you saw the whole rest of our community stop apologizing for it. So please tell me what is too far, and then tell me why if it's too far, if you've accurately identified it, why would that be a bad thing? All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And I want to shout out Aaron, who left me a comment on Spotify saying, always a great listen. Thank you, Uncle Chael. And to that I say, I will be back next Tuesday with much more. Until then, Nico, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.